Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Cup. Uh, let's try that again. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and my co-host Caleb Jenks is not going to make it this evening. Uh, his brother is getting married tomorrow, and apparently he thinks that the rehearsal dinner and you know the rehearsal for the wedding ceremony is more important than this podcast that reaches at least you know six to eight people every Friday night. So you're stuck with me. <clears throat> Good evening, Timothy. Thanks for joining. Tonight, we are going to go over the rapture, the end times, the millennial reign of Christ, and <clears throat> his uh, second coming. And because Caleb is not here to give me a hard time, I'm definitely going to uh, lean on you folks asking some questions that I'm going to try to get to to help this hour along. So we got a lot of folks here tuning in from Florida, from Arkansas, and welcome. We're glad that everybody is here. So I'm going to, I'm just going to jump right in because this topic should really be taught in 10 sessions an hour apiece. There's enough information to go over all of that. So trying to cram it into a one hour slot is kind of ridiculous, but I'm going to do the best that I can. I really do enjoy this topic, the idea of the second coming, the rapture, the millennial reign of Christ. The big fancy word we use to describe all that is eschatology, the study of the end times. I really like it. I think it's neat. I've read a lot about it. I've studied it a bunch. I've drawn timelines and diagrams, and and it's it's really fascinating to me. Uh, Caleb, on the other hand, was a little bit more of the opinion of, well, however it's going to end, it's going to end that way, and I guess I'll just see it when it comes. And I don't want to really put words in his mouth, but Caleb's not as excited about this topic as I am. So it works out that this week he's gone for his brother's wedding. And next week, I'm actually going to be gone uh, camping with my kids. So, okay, so the second, <clears throat> the second coming, the millennial reign of Christ. So the way I described this topic was I really said that we were going to talk about the rapture. So let's, let's start with that. <clears throat> Let's just jump in here and give you a brief uh, overview of the rapture. Okay, so at some point, actually, you know what? Let's just go to <clears throat> the book of John. And <laughs> I just read this the other day. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Okay, so Jesus very plainly promises us that he is going to come again, and he's going to take us to where he is. And I don't think a lot of Christians really struggle with that idea. I think all of us believe that once we die, if we are saved, if we're born again, our sins are forgiven, we trust in Christ, then we are going to end up in heaven with him. But the neat thing is that the way that he words it, and then we're going to talk about it more in a couple of other books later on in the New Testament, we find that he is not saying that when you die, you're going to show up in heaven and I'm going to be there, although that is true. We find out that uh, Paul explains this in great detail in a couple places, uh, specifically in uh, Thessalonians, in the books of Thessalonians, and we're going to get there here in just one second. Okay, so let's jump in to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to give you this idea of the rapture. Now, I've heard from so many people, everyone that doesn't like the idea of the rapture, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, actually, yes, it is. You just have the wrong Bible. If you have a, a Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, 
Bible, and this was trans, the, the entire Old Testament was translated into Greek prior to Christ being born. And that, that version of the Bible is called the Septuagint. Well, why did they do that? Well, that's easy. Greek was the language of the world. So that was the way to make it easy for everyone to have a copy of the Torah in their hands that they could read and understand. At certain times throughout history, especially prior to Christ, during the Babylonian captivity and, and afterward, uh, Hebrew, actual, true, pure Hebrew, the Hebrew language was used very much in uh, the religious order, but it was not used as a day-to-day -day, uh, language. There were several, I don't know what the right word would be, but we'll call them perversions of the Hebrew language, one is called Yiddish, that were uh, used along with that, the language of the world at the time when Christ was here on earth was Greek. And that's the reason that the Septuagint was, um, was written. Okay, so if you have the Septuagint, that's the Old Testament, the Torah translated uh, into the Greek language, then the word rapture absolutely shows up in the Bible many, many times. So that's nothing uh, strange to any of us. So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to go to 13. You're going to read about three or four verses. So this is where Paul explains it. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Okay, so when Paul uses the term asleep, that's a term used throughout the Old Testament in many of the letters that um, is used of Christians who die. When a Christian dies, they call it going to sleep because just like every night when we go to sleep, we wake up again. So it's not a final thing. You die, uh, you are asleep, and then you open your eyes, you're awake again, and you're going to be with the Lord. So uh, this term asleep, understand, is used synonymously with the death of a Christian. Okay, so again in verse 13, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So he's talking about Christians who have died before, okay, people that they knew in the church saved people who have died, okay, <clears throat> them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So don't sorrow for these people who have died the same way you would sorrow for those who have no hope, those who died who are not in Christ, who are not saved. Okay, verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. All right. Well, let's just read the last verse of that chapter, or the last two, and, and we'll tie it up, and then we'll talk about it. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, so here, Jesus is, or I'm sorry, not Jesus, Paul is explaining what is going to happen. And what he says is that in verse 16, the Lord himself, Jesus, shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now, real quick, where is Jesus right now? Well, Jesus is in heaven. We know that. He ascended up into heaven. We read about that in the Gospels. And where is he specifically? He's sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. So he is sitting uh, with God the Father on his right hand, and he is waiting for a time appointed by the Father for him to come down and get the bride of Christ, which is the church, also known as all the saved people on planet earth. So in verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, if these couple verses are not talking about the rapture, then I would like to know what they are talking about. All of those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, this is the funny thing. In heaven, we get a new body. We get an incorruptible body. Because remember, this body uh, cannot put on immortality. 
Okay, this our bodies are called corrupt. Our flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So all those who have died and gone before us, they are going to be uh, taken away. And uh, literally the graves are going to burst forth, boom, and bones or dust or whatever's left. We actually have a question right here. What if you're cremated? Um, and without getting into the whole topic of cremation versus burial, keep in mind, uh, we're talking about uh, many, many people <clears throat> who have died over the last 2000 years who still need their new body and the remains don't have much left in them. Okay. It's, you know, literally ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Okay. So, uh, it, it doesn't, God, it doesn't require a whole lot. It's not like there's a, a minimum required amount of mass that has to, you know, uh, shoot up into the air, but whatever remains, okay, are left are going to burst forth. The sea is going to give up their dead. The graves are going to burst forth. And, uh, so those, which the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we are going to meet the Lord in the air. So keep in mind when Jesus will say returns at the time of the rapture, he's not coming all the way down to earth. Okay. He's coming down into the heavens and there's going to be a trumpet and poof, graves break forth and come all the dead bodies. Then we, which are alive and remain, all of us who are Christians are going to shoot up as well. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I believe we can skip over to 1 Corinthians 15 and we can see about this new body that I'm talking about just to make sure. Let's just... Keep me honest here so that we all know that I'm not making this stuff up. First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All, all of us are going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Okay, so it, it the Holy Spirit is giving us a bookmark here. He's referencing what's going to happen. Remember, when Jesus descends, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, when he writes through Paul, 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, he gives us a bookmark and says, this is the spot that I'm talking about when the trumpet of God breaks forth. So we can see that we're, we're talking about the same time period here. So in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And notice here again, just to show us that 1 Corinthians 15, 51 is talking about the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There are two different groups. There's the dead that go, and then we which are alive and remain. And we will be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Okay, so as you can see, shoot up into the air, bodies are changed, you're given your new glorified body. The great thing about that body is it never dies, it doesn't sin, okay? It is the kind of body that all of us have wanted this whole time. Hopefully, it doesn't gain weight after eating ice cream and cheeseburgers late at night. Okay, so <clears throat> let's see. Okay, no more questions coming in yet. And thank you all for chit-chatting amongst yourselves. Okay, so we got the, oh, and you know, I'm so bad at this. I'm supposed to, when this video gets started, I'm supposed to get on here and share it on my timeline to try to, you know, get people um, on here. So let me just hit the share button. Ba -ba -ba, write a post, Patrick live now boom let's see who gets that okay all right <clears throat> so <clears throat> that is the rapture described in two different uh parts of the bible in first thessalonians 4 and in first corinthians chapter 15. so we are all taken up with the lord 
And uh, Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 4, comfort one another with these words. So this is something that we are supposed to teach, we're supposed to talk about, and it's supposed to be a great comfort to one another. Thank you, LaRonda, for sharing the video. I certainly appreciate that. So that's the idea of the rapture. Now, the rapture has happened several other times in the Bible. You can look it up. I'm just going to give you mention now. Remember, here at Bible Thumper, we're going to share our opinions. But our goal is not to get all of you to believe what we believe. Caleb and I disagree on a lot of things in the Bible, and that's fine. He, he is still one of my best friends, uh, despite how wrong he is about all these, uh, you know, different verses that we contend on. Uh, so we don't need you to believe like us. We are going to give you our opinion, but we want you to get into the Bible and study it for yourself. So I'm going to give you a lot of verses, and I hope that you'll all go home and study to show thyself approved, okay? Uh, you're going to take the Bible, you're going to crack it open, you're going to start studying these subjects for yourself, and hopefully what we tell you and the verses that we give you here might, you know, help you along your, along your way. Okay, so... Um, we find out that the idea of a rapture happened at least three different times in, in the Bible. Number one was a guy named Enoch, E-N-O-C-H. And Enoch uh, happened back in the book of Genesis prior to the flood. Then you find out the time with the chariot of fire with Elijah and Elisha when uh, Elijah was caught up in the chariot and taken away and Elisha had the mantle um, passed on to him. So those were prophets that we find in the books. I think it was in 1 Samuel. If it was in 2 Samuel, forgive me, I just, I'm a little confused there. But you can look up Elijah and Elisha and the chariot of fire, and you, you can easily look up that verse, and you can see, again, how people were, they did not die. They were taken away by God quickly and were gone and were with the Lord. Then the third time that we see that is with the apostle Paul in the New Testament in the book of Acts when he is on the road to, oh, I forget the name of it. Um, it'll come to me as soon as I'm done with the podcast. So as Paul was walking on the road, he was caught up to get, he was caught up quickly to the third heaven and he met with Jesus and he was taught things and Jesus spoke to him. And, and I think it's the road to Emmaus, but don't, don't quote me on that. So there are several times when this happens where all of a sudden someone is on earth and then uh, they are taken away to heaven to be with God for, you know, various reasons. So there are several people that did not have to taste death in the Old Testament. Uh, and there are going to be a whole lot of them that don't have to do it uh, post uh, crucifixion under the new covenant. So that's the rapture in a nutshell. <clears throat> We're about 18 minutes in, and now I want to go over this idea of what we call the, um, and let's see if I can find it here. I actually have a picture to bring up, so let's see if we can do this. I'm not sure if it's going to work. <clears throat> so I have a graphic to bring in here to help us all along. Okay, so... <clears throat> As far as the end times go, and as I said, the end times is a subject that could we could easily do a 10-part series. As a matter of fact, maybe that'd be a good thing for me to start putting together. It'll only take me a couple years to get that put together, and then I could, you know, teach through that. So <clears throat> uh, far too many people, what they do is they they look to the book of Revelation for end times material, and believe it or not a good portion of the material that you want to read about for the end times is in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Ezekiel. It's all over the Bible, uh, but the majority of it is, is not in the book of Revelation. But something that that is important for us to understand is that for every one prophecy in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah who was going to die on the cross, so the first coming of Christ when he showed up here in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and he was crucified and died for our sins. For every one mention of that throughout the Bible, there are eight mentions of his second coming. It's an eight to one ratio. So you tell me, is it important? Is it something we should learn about? Is it something that we should know about? Now, this is not pulling up this picture that I wanted. So if it 
if it ends up, let's see, sorry, I, the last time I did this, no, that's not going to work. The last time I did this, <clears throat> it worked fine. And then there was an update on the software and I haven't tried it since. So I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get this picture up here for everyone. And it's too bad. It's, it's very simple and helpful. Okay. So as far as the end times goes, what you have to understand is there, oh, look at this. It came up. Okay. So we're going to bring this in and there we go. Uh, hopefully everyone can see that. And I think I'm going to do that. And uh, that's, that's pretty good. Okay, let's leave it like that and see how it goes. So <clears throat> there are three main events in end times prophecy. And I hate, I'm, I'm not going to get into the history of this, but you have to understand that I would say greater than nine out of 10 churches either teach that the thousand year millennial reign of Christ does not happen. It's all allegorical. It is not real. Or they have no understanding of the 70th week of Daniel and the thousand year millennial reign. And because of that, um, they have a big, big problem. Uh, they completely avoid the topic of eschatology. And here's what I'm going to tell you. And again, we're not going to get off onto a rabbit trail, but I will tell you this. There are so many verses about the second coming of Christ, and we're going to go over a bunch of them in a minute. I mean, and they are obvious, and you've all read several of them many, many times, and you're going to say, holy cow, I never even noticed that. There are so many verses about the second coming of Christ that talks about the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year period that a lot of people call the Great Tribulation. It, it's technically incorrect, but we'll get, we'll get into that and why. And the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand years that we read about um, in the book of Revelation, in Ezekiel and Isaiah and many other places. And because people don't attribute those to the second coming, they try to make those verses fit in somehow with Christians and Jews today. And it makes so many churches go off on these crazy ideas and their doctrine is all messed up because they don't understand it's talking about the second coming of Christ. So with that, <clears throat> there are three major events or periods of time when you're talking about eschatology. Number one on the far left-hand side of the screen is the rapture. And we just read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Jesus comes down from heaven and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air, and so shall be a show shall uh, forever be with the Lord. I think it says we're going to change, we're going to get our new bodies, then we are going to be in heaven. So at that point, the saints, saved people, the church, if you want to call it that, Jesus calls it that, uh, which is the invisible, um, universal, invisible body of Christ, all Christians around the globe. Okay. We are all together called the church. And we can also be called the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the most accurate term because the church has a second definition that is also used in the Bible. And that is a local body of believers. So let's call it the bride of Christ. So at the time of the rapture, Jesus comes comes back for his bride, brings them up to heaven, and then we are with Christ forever. That is it. Okay, then the next event that happens is the, um, uh, the 70th week of Daniel. Now, we, I'm not going to go back and talk about this and go over the book of Daniel. If you want, go back to Daniel, go back to chapter 9, read through it, and you will find that there is a prophecy that is given. And in that prophecy, which is one of the most amazing prophecies in the entire Bible, Daniel is given the exact day that the Messiah will march into Jerusalem and declare himself to be king. And that happens on the exact day that Jesus gets on a donkey 
and rides into Jerusalem and they lay down the palm branches on the ground. And this is on the 10th day of Nisan, the first month in the Jewish calendar, uh, right before the Passover. And they start singing the hymn, or I'm sorry, singing from the Psalms, you know, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, uh, for this is the day that the Lord hath made. So Jesus is declares himself as king. Unfortunately, no one was out there looking for him. It was a very small crowd. So small, in fact, that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Not going to get into that now. I'm going to stay on track. So that was the 69th week of Daniel. Then we find out that there is a period of time, and then the 70th week of Daniel is still to come. That is the seven-year period that you most often hear called the Great Tribulation. Now, you should stop using that term, the Great Tribulation, to describe that seven-year period, because Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus calls the Great Tribulation the last three and a half years of the seven years, and I'll show you that in the Bible. The most accurate way where there's no, to, to describe this, where there's no you know, misunderstanding is that seven year period is called the 70th week of Daniel. Okay. And it's described in Daniel. And for that matter, Jesus refers to Daniel when he's explaining this to the apostles in Matthew chapter 24, if you want to write that down and look it up a little later. So what's going on in heaven at this point is there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we are in heaven with Christ, the bride of Christ for the marriage supper of the Lamb. The seven-day marriage feast is described in the book of Judges uh, in the story of Sam, uh, Samson. So you can, you can find it there. And again, because we're already halfway through our hour, I'm not going to describe the Jewish wedding and the custom of it and how that works and how that all ties in and represents <coughs> the rapture of the church. And Someone can ask me to talk about it another day and I'll get on here and just go over that a little bit. Okay, so <clears throat> you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's going on here on earth is the 70th week of Daniel. Now, during the 70th week of Daniel, all kinds of stuff is going on, a lot. You can read about it in Matthew. You can read about it in Luke. And these are the accounts that Jesus is describing these things and talking about them. You can find information about this in the book of Revelation. So if you want to talk about the wars and the rumors of wars and the pestilence and the, the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and all, yada, 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 all of that stuff is going on, okay, during the 70th week of Daniel, these seven years here on earth. Now, something that I should mention really quick is that there is nothing holding up Jesus from coming back for the bride of Christ other than the father telling him, go get your bride. Now, Jesus said that nobody knows the day or the hour, not even the son, but only the father. So th that's sometimes strange for us to wrap our head around, but Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back for us. Only the father in heaven has that information. The father's going to tell the son. Now, now, why is that? Okay, that, that is biblically relevant because of the Jewish marriage custom and how that all works. Uh, and again, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on it right now. You can go ahead and do your own homework. But uh, that's the way that worked as well. Whereas the um, after the betrothal was made, so they were going to get married. Okay, they were, it was already promised. Um, the, uh, the, bridegroom would go back to his father's house and he would prepare a place. He would basically make an addition onto the house. And then when the father said, okay, you're good and ready, go get your bride. He would in the middle of the night go and essentially kind of like kidnap the bride and take her back to his father's house. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. See, I'm already getting off. I'm getting off track. And I'm talking about the Jewish marriage custom at the time of Christ. You know, just like Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house or many mansions, yada, yada. And then they would consummate the marriage and then they would come, um, then they would have a, a seven day uh, uh, wedding feast. Okay. As I said, described in the book of Judges, the story of Samson, you can read about that. So that's the marriage supper of the lamb when the bride and the bridegroom are joined together. 
Okay. And that's what happens in heaven. Now, during that time, now there is nothing, there's no prerequisite in order to have the rapture happen. The rapture could happen before this Bible study is over. Glory to God, that would be amazing. But there's nothing uh, in there's nothing that has to be accomplished for the rapture to happen. But after the rapture happens, the 70th week of Daniel, we do not know what kicks that off. Now, the way the Bible reads sometimes is that there's the rapture, and then right after that, the 70th week of Daniel starts, but it doesn't specifically say that. It could start the very next day. It could also start, you know, several years after that. We don't know. Uh, it, it's very much like how long were Adam and Eve married in the Garden of Eden before the serpent came and tempted Eve and they ate the fruit and were kicked out. Well, if you just read chapter two and then chapter three of Genesis, it sounds like, you know, they were made day seven, God rests and day eight, the serpent shows up and bada bing. You actually find out if you do the math uh, that they could have been in the garden for upwards of 110 years prior to the serpent coming and tempting them. The point is, we don't know. We know the minimum amount of time is they, it could have been day eight when they were kicked out of the garden, or it could have been up to 110 years. Once again, I can draw out the math for that, but we're not going to do it now. So in between the rapture of the church or uh, Jesus coming back for the bride of Christ and the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, how much time passes, we don't know. What we do know are several things have to happen prior to the 70th week of Daniel. Namely, a temple has to be built. That will be the third temple, okay? So the third temple has to be built, has to be built in Jerusalem, has to be built on a certain spot. The Levitical priesthood has to uh, resume. They have to resume making sacrifices. And the reason we know that is because in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel and let me see if I have, I think I have this up. Yeah, I do. Okay, so we find out in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the event that happens is called the abomination of desolation. Now that's talked about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. It's also talked about in Daniel chapter nine. And when you read Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus even mentions the book of Daniel, so you know there's no mistaking what Jesus is talking about. And what happens is that in the middle of the seven-year period, and just so you know, several times in the Bible, that that is also described as um, uh, three and a half years. Okay, so that seven-year period is also described as two, three-and-a-half-year periods. And, and it's very important because there's a break in the middle of it, and something very important happens, and then everything changes in the second half. So in Matthew chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, um, we read, well, we'll just do verse 15. When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, uh, Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Okay. So the Antichrist is going to stand up in the temple in the holiest of holies. So that's called the abomination of desolation. Now, that has already happened. And because it's already happened, uh, I think it's already happened twice. If, if it was not twice, it was once. And please forgive me. And I, I didn't put this in my notes. I didn't have time to go back and, and dig this up. But it has already happened to the Jews prior to Christ. When, uh, I'm not even going to try to remember, when a pagan uh, under military escort went into the Holy of, Holy of Holies and desecrated it. So you got to remember, if, if you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say Holy of Holies, then you're going to want to go back to uh, the book of Exodus and you're going to want to read about the tabernacle. Okay, so it's after the Ten Commandments. I think it starts around chapter 24. And that was the temporary temple. That was the tent that they would set up in the wilderness. And that was their temple where the Levitical priests would have their sacrifices. And you have to understand that there were <clears throat> three specific parts of the tabernacle. So there was the outer court. Then you had the... 
um, the, the holy place, which was a smaller room. And then inside that room was a even smaller room called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies housed the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there were some other implements in there. I'm not going to waste our time going over that. But, but you got to understand that the high priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies one time on Yom Kippur. Uh, one time a year, and that was it. And he was only allowed to go in there after great ceremonial uh, preparation. And <clears throat> it, was, it was a very, very serious matter. So what's going to happen during the 70th week of Daniel, during that seven-year period in the middle of it, three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to stand up in the Holy of Holies. He's going to cause the uh, sacrifices to stop, and he is going to declare that he is God and everyone needs to fall down and worship him. So after that happens, then what we're going to find is we move into the second half of the uh, 70th week of Daniel that Jesus labels the Great Tribulation and the time of Jacob's trouble. So <clears throat> If you call the whole seven-year period the Great Tribulation, every Christian you talk to on earth is going to know what you're talking about. I am going to politely smile, but internally I'm going to be rolling my eyes because it's just one of those. It just confuses the matter for anyone that's a serious student of eschatology because, um, you know, words have meanings. And Jesus defined the Great Tribulation as the second half of this 70th week of Daniel. So... What's going to happen is the <clears throat> wrath of God is going to be poured out. Now, so many people misunderstand the idea of the wrath of God. They think that the wrath of God during that time is for the unbelieving world. It is not. Now, is the unbelieving world going to get hit with all that wrath? Absolutely. They're on planet Earth. They're going to get nailed with it. But that is not the point. The point of that is to hit the Jews. And it is going to get them to break. And at the end, they are going to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus called it the time of Jacob's trouble. So the whole idea of the 70th week of Daniel is to get the Jews who have for so many years... <coughs> rejected the prophets and killed the prophets and rejected Jesus. It's going to give them, uh, it's going to force their hand. It's going to bring them to their knees and they are going to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay. So now we have 20 minutes left in the hour and keep in mind, I am trying to glance over at the comments every so often to see if anyone has a comment, uh, where I need to, you know, answer a question of theirs. But we're, I'm going to uh, shift into the third part of the end times and, and just gloss over this. And really, this is going to take another three hours. So just bear with me. So now we're going to talk about the millennial reign. And the millennial reign is a period of time that for some reason, it is wholly rejected by the majority of Christianity. I do not know why. It is just one of those things where churches nowadays they avoid it. They don't talk about it. They, a lot of them don't believe it. Most churches, I'm not even going to tell you, go ask your pastor what he thinks about the millennial reign of Christ. Because after you hear how much is written about it, and then you're going to go find out that your pastor doesn't know anything about it and doesn't believe it. Uh, it it's, it's really going to, you're really going to be disappointed. But it, it's the same reason I believe that so many preachers do not want to talk about the end times because if they did, they would have to make concrete decisions because there's so many things that say thus at the Lord. And if you don't believe in it, then you got to turn, you know, 25% of the Bible into allegory and, and, and try to write it off somehow. And it's clumsy and hard to do. And you, you end up sounding like a guy that doesn't believe the Bible. And, and there's a reason for that. So, all right. So let's start off with, with this idea, the millennial reign is a thousand year period and and really quickly i'm just going to i'm going to start off with one verse okay so let's go to here we go the millennial reign revelation chapter 20. so let's just read this for those of you that have maybe never heard of this idea and <clears throat> here we go 
So I'll just start in verse one and we got to get down to verse four. Okay. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now understand that <clears throat> during the thousand year millennial reign, the great part about it is that the devil is chained up. He is, he is not ruling and reigning over planet earth like he's been doing for so long. He is out of the picture. Uh, verse two, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded of the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So there is a group that is with Christ who is reigning and ruling with him. And spoiler alert, if you are born again, you are part of that group. Uh, <clears throat> but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Okay, so we're not going to get off into a whole long study about that. What we want to do tonight is simply prove to you that the thousand year millennial reign is biblical. It's talked about in the Bible. It's talked about a lot. Revelation chapter 20 is very clear that there is a thousand year period where Jesus will be ruling and reigning on earth and the Satan, Satan will be bound up in the bottomless pit. Okay. Hey, Trevor, I see that you're on here. Welcome. Glad you could make it. <clears throat> All right. So we're going to start off with a verse that we've all read so many times. And we're going to we're going to talk about now the thousand year millennial reign and how it is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the Davidic covenant that is King David. We're going to see how this works. It's very clear. We only need a couple of verses to tie it all together, but you're going to want to write these verses down <clears throat> and then look them up later. So I'm going to switch back over to here and. <clears throat> I'm going to bring up the verses here and we'll see how this goes. Okay, so starting in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. And we read about the scripture every Christmas. We read it in Christmas cards all the time. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There shall be no end. Okay, so <clears throat> this is the time when Gabriel spoke on to Mary and explained to her what was, you know, going to happen with her son. The interesting thing about this is that the throne of David did not exist. It did not exist at this time. You got to remember that. Uh, the throne of David, along with the temple, was destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar came in and sacked Jerusalem and laid siege to it and took away uh, into captivity all the Jews. <clears throat> there was no temple, uh, included uh, for you know a period of time after the seventy years they were let out of Babylon, and then you can read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and you can read about how they rebuilt the temple and the wall and the city and all those things. But there was not a temple, and when they destroyed the temple, they also destroyed <clears throat> the throne of David. The throne of David was not in the temple. Please understand there were two different structures, but the throne of David was torn down at that time, and it was not rebuilt. Now, <clears throat> um, so in Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel comes and talks to Mary and says, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, that's either an empty promise or something big is about to happen. So when we pray the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, most people have no idea. They have no earthly idea what they're praying for. What kingdom? It wasn't for Jesus to come the first time. No kingdom was established. He wasn't king. He was a servant. So the millennium is not eternity yet. 
understand there is a difference. It is a period of a thousand years where major changes happened. Uh, there's no death or sin. Everyone has land and it is fruitful. Uh, it is not the new earth either. So when we read through the Old Testament, we find out that there are four unconditional uh, covenants, or I should say, sorry, four um, uh, eternal covenants. So you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the uh, covenant of the land, you have the Davidic covenant, and then you have the everlasting covenant talked about in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. So the Davidic covenant is what we're going to be talking about tonight. So Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. This is where this is where the Davidic covenant is given. God makes a covenant with King David, and you need to understand this. And it's broken down into two parts. You have verses 8 and 9, and then you have verses 10 through 17. And verses 10 through 17 have not happened yet. So <clears throat> that means they're going to happen. That's a futuristic prophecy. Now, keep in mind, at the time that David received the word of the Lord in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, neither of these things have happened. But it is talking about two different periods, and it, it, it's very clear. So let's just get into the, the scripture. Starting in verse 8, Now therefore so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Verse 9, And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Now, this is no surprise to us if you if you were reading through the book of 2 Samuel, you saw this happen or you read about it. I mean, you know, this is obvious. So then we get to verse 10, 10 through 7. This is the stuff that has not happened yet. Understand, and, and when I'm going through this, we're gonna we're gonna walk through this, you know, at a good pace. But we're gonna see that this is a prophecy of something to come. And it hasn't come in our lifetime either. Okay, this is still future. This doesn't have to happen for the rapture to take place, but it does have to happen for the um, uh, millennial uh, reign to take place. Okay, or that, that's what's going to take place during the millennial reign. That's the way I should have phrased that. So uh, jumping back into 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. Okay, so, well, let, let's keep going. And will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. So has that happened yet? No, because it was only May 18th of 1948 that Israel got their land back. So between the time of David all the way up to May of 1948, verse 10 has not happened because the Jews were constantly moving. That's what they call the um, uh, diaspora. Okay, where they were dispersed throughout the world. <clears throat> then it says in verse 10, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. Has that happened? No, even since they got their new nation and they were the nation of Israel again, they were attacked and attacked and attacked at all of the surrounding countries, all of their enemies. Verse 11, and as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, did you notice that phrase? He shall build a house for my name and I will establish my throne of his kingdom forever. That's what God said. He said he was going to establish it forever. So the Davidic covenant still has to be fulfilled. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, listen to this. <clears throat> This is talk, and this is the this is the crazy part that people don't like. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. 
but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. He's talking to David, thy house and thy kingdom. Thy throne shall be established forever. There is no throne of David today. There was no throne of David in Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel promised Mary that Jesus was going to sit on it. It still does not exist. That throne has to be rebuilt just like the temple has to be rebuilt. And David is going to sit on it. How do you know? Because everyone thinks, oh, well, Jesus is going to sit on that throne. No, he's not. Jesus will be on earth during the millennial reign. He will be on a throne, but it will not be the throne of David. Okay, David is going to be resurrected and he will be on that throne. How do we know? Because it even explains who's sitting on the throne in verse 14. It says, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Jesus isn't going to commit iniquity when he's sitting on the throne of David at some point. This is talking about David doing it. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Okay, so that is the beginning of uh, the millennial reign here. Now we're going to get into a little more. And <clears throat> so let's jump into Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Now this is the verse that everyone has read a million times. Okay, so LaRonda, I saw you asked a question and you were asking what uh, chapter is this? So we went over Luke chapter one, verses 31 to 33. Then we went over second Samuel chapter seven, verses eight through, uh, 17. Now we're going to Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. So this is a verse that we've all read every single Christmas. I, I might've said that before about the verse in Luke, but that was a mistake. This is the one that we read every single Christmas and we don't even realize what we're reading. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Okay, so we, we all agree we're talking about Jesus here, right? I mean, we don't have to argue that point. I think that's pretty straightforward. But notice it says the government shall be upon his shoulder. Can you tell me when the government was on upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ? Because the first time he came to earth, he was not in charge of any government. He will be. Remember, now, I'm going to explain an idea to you. Just please do your own homework and look this up. Call me a liar and look it up for yourself. During the Old Testament period, all the way through to the, uh, the post-exile prophets, and, and beyond, even up to the time of Christ, there were groups of Jewish rabbis that believed there must be two different Messiah. Because the prophecies that they read throughout the whole Old Testament were so different from one another, they could not reconcile how one man could do both of these things. Now, we have an advantage because we can look back. And in hindsight, it makes sense. We, we read about Jesus being the lion and the lamb. We read about him being the servant and the king. But friends, understand, he has fulfilled the prophecies about being the lamb and the servant. Those already happened. He has not become the king and the lion yet. Those are going to happen. See, the rabbis thought, naturally, that all of these scriptures were going to be fulfilled at the same time when the Messiah comes. They never thought that there would be two appearances. <laughs> so the government upon his shoulders, that is coming. Okay, and of the increase of his government, uh, so now we're going to go to Isaiah 9 verse 7, the very next verse. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So his, meaning Jesus's government, shall be no end. Now, 
keep in mind, it has not even been established yet. We know these verses are not talking about David's government. Okay, David's government did have an end. And then all of Jerusalem was over. I mean, they, you know, knocked it over, crumbled it, stomped it down to powder and blew it into the wind. Uh, Jerusalem was, the way it was described in the Bible was that it was uh, scraped clean like a rock, like a smooth stone. There was nothing left. I mean, it was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar was tired of it. He laid siege to it three times and the third time he said, nope, we're done. We're wiping it out. So <clears throat> one thing you have to remember is that the throne of David did not exist at the time of Christ. There is no way Jesus could have established a kingdom where he was sitting. Oh, here we go. Uh, where he was sitting on a throne that didn't exist. So the throne of David is not the father's throne. It is a different throne. And again, it is forever. Okay. So <clears throat> let's see. Okay, so let's move forward. We're gonna now. If you want to read, if you want to look up a few more verses, I'm gonna give you two more. You can look them up on your own. It talks about this throne and specifically mentions the throne of David. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 34, and then Acts 15, verses 13 to 17. Okay, you can look them up on your own. For the sake of time, I'm gonna keep moving. I'm gonna give you, you know, a little bit of this part that's really neat. Ezekiel 37, verses 24 through 27. Again, that is Ezekiel 37, verses 24 through 27. Here we read, And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They, also, uh, they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Okay, now, for those of you that don't have a good general understanding of the Bible and the timeline, when Ezekiel was a prophet, David had already been dead for 500 years. And Ezekiel said, David, my servant, shall be king over them. And again, he said, David shall be their prince forever. Now, if you want to just dismiss that and say that, you know, it is just a colorful allegory, but it is not literal, that's fine. Every Christian in the world said the same thing about the Jews getting back in the land and having their country back and having their national language be Hebrew. Everybody laughed at those prophecies all the way up through World War II and the late 1940s. But then, lo and behold, what happened? A nation was born in a day, and Israel became a nation again. They got Jerusalem. They ended up uh, speaking Hebrew again. Nobody believed that other than this teeny little tiny group of Christians like me that take the Bible literally. And I get it. It's everyone's job to laugh at us and ridicule us and poke fun at us as long as they want. That's fine. I, I really don't care. Okay. I am going to have a big, I told you so when there's a millennial reign and David is on his throne for that thousand years. Why do you think that? Well, because it's talked about all over the Bible. Even after David had been dead for 500 years and the throne was wiped from the face of the earth, still Ezekiel says, David will be their prince forever. King David will sit on the throne of David. Okay, well, how's that going to happen? It's easy. David is going to be resurrected in the millennial reign. David is going to sit on his throne. So, like I said, the millennial reign is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Because keep in mind, the Davidic covenant has not uh, come to pass yet. Okay, so with that, I think we're going to stop there as far as the um, as far as the explanation uh, for there being a millennial reign. And then if you want to get into uh, the millennial reign and read about it, you're going to do that in the 
book of Isaiah, and forgive me for not having the chapter available. Uh, I want to say it's, nah, I don't, I don't even want to guess. I want to look it up for you is, is really what I want to do. Sorry, my, um, once in a while when I get on here and I do this, the computer just slows down to a crawl and I'm always concerned about freezing something up and, and losing the podcast. So I'm not even going to get into it. <clears throat> I'll put it in the comments maybe later after this is done, but you're going to, the, the majority of what you're going to read about as far as the millennial is described in the book of Isaiah. Let me see if I have it uh, here. If I have it highlighted in some meaningful way so I can just quickly share it with you. Isaiah. Here we go. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking 60 and 61, but to be honest, now here we go. I think 60 and 61 are the parts that describe Christ. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 65, you find a good portion of it. If you start in verse 17, that's really where it kind of begins. And it explains a lot about the lion laying down with the lamb and, and the, the earth being restored to Garden of Eden conditions. It talks about how a child will die at 100 years old, and that'll you know be considered a young death because people will be living to be 900 and 1,000 years old, just like uh, they were back during the Garden of Eden prior to the flood. When you read through Genesis chapters 5 and 11, you read the genealogies, you realize that people were living to be you know, eight, 900 years old was nothing special. Uh, so you're going to read about the millennial reign, as I said, starting in Isaiah chapter 65, start in verse 17, and you can continue through the end of uh, the book of Isaiah. And we can do, you know, another whole kind of episode on it. But uh, one thing that you find out is that the earth is very, very different at that time. Okay, things are restored to the way that God had originally set it up during the Garden of Eden conditions. And uh, that is a time where Satan is bound in the bottomless pit. He is not running amok on planet Earth. So things are very, very different. So we got through an hour, we kind of just you know, just dipped our toes into the subject of the rapture and the second coming and the end times. I hope this was helpful. I hope we gave you enough verses to start studying it on your own. Would I like to, you know, do a 10-part series talking about biblical eschatology and go over all the scripture? I absolutely would love to do that. And for those of you that are friends of mine and know me, you know the reason I'm not doing that. I'm self-employed. I live on a farm. I have six kids. You know, my oldest is only 13 years old. And I'm just busy, 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 busy. So that's why on Fridays when Caleb and I get together, we really come into this with essentially no um, uh, prep work or anything. The only reason that I had all this put together is because reading and studying the Bible is my hobby. And I had all this stuff put together you know, I don't know how long ago, but it was like, oh, I'm interested in this now. So I started studying through it and reading up on it and compiling all the information so that I could do something like this. And I could, you know, easily burn up an hour talking about, you know, the uh, uh, the second coming and the rapture and the uh, millennial reign. But, you know, this wasn't stuff that I uh, did as far as prep work specifically for this hour. And Caleb and I really neither of us really have time for that other than our normal study of the Bible, you know, through the week. So I always appreciate everyone tuning in. Thank you for uh, many of you with your questions and comments. Uh, we always appreciate those. Uh, I, I would certainly ask that you please uh, get on the Facebook page that you're on and give us suggestions for more topics to go over in the future. Uh, this was another topic that was recommended. We had two or three people ask us to go over the rapture and the end times and the second coming and some different things. And there was still a lot of information we didn't get to. I mean, there really was, you know, uh, just we ran out of time, but uh, we will try to um, get to any topics that you uh, folks suggest 
you know, and uh, we'll have fun doing it. And then if you have questions afterward, uh, you can uh, make comments on this post. And to be honest with you, any of you can send me a friend request. I, I hit accept on almost all of them. You know, uh, once in a while, someone ends up being a pain in the neck and I unfriend them. But for the most part, you know, if you want to send me messages and ask me questions and chat about the Bible, I love doing that. A lot of times you're going to get my responses kind of at 10 or 11 at night when I'm laying in bed, you know, before I go to sleep and I'll just scroll through and, and try to hammer out some uh, responses, you know, so please understand if they're not quick, but we do appreciate all of you. We appreciate you guys sharing these videos. We hope they're a help. And, and just remember, these are here to hopefully just light a fire under your butt and get you to start studying the Bible on your own. Okay, that's what we want to do. We want you guys to be in the Bible on your own, reading it, studying it, learning it, and challenging everything you hear from, you know, people like Caleb and I, um, your pastor, your friends, you know, everyone. Okay, um, you know, there, there's there's nothing wrong with making sure everything you hear uh, lines up with the Word of God. You want to have that Bible in your hand. You want to say, "Yep." That preacher is great because everything he says lines up with the word of God. And what that's going to do is it's, it's going to help you so that um, when the false preachers come along and you hear that stuff, you're going to know that it's wrong. And I, and I should say this, when you get into Matthew chapter 24, and this will be the last point that I make before I shut this down. <clears throat> when the, uh, when all uh, Jesus's disciples ask him to uh, teach them, about the end times and what the end of the world is going to be like. In verse 4, in chapter 24, we read, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Do you know that Jesus starts and ends that discussion with the warning, Do not be deceived. There are going to be people that are going to try to deceive you. So make sure you're not deceived. Well, how do you how do you guard against being deceived? It's easy. You got to know this book. You got to know this book really well. And it is going to be nigh impossible for the devil and his servants to deceive you. You got to know this book. Okay. With that, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us. And I will not see you next Friday as I will be camping with my three older boys. Uh, but Caleb will be on here. I believe he's going to bring a guest, so it won't be as bad as tonight. Just one guy talking for an hour. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.